What is up, everyone? We have made it to one of the key points of the year. This is probably my uh, third favorite day of the year. Maybe it, it might fall to fourth, actually. I don't know. You know, my birthday, Christmas, and I hold draft day higher than the Super Bowl somehow. Uh, except maybe this year when my team's in it. Um, but yeah, how are you doing, Logan? <laughs> doing good, man. Excited. Like you said pre-show, just getting through this week. Got to get to the weekend. It feels like it's uh, taking forever, but excited. Excited for this game. Yeah, this is the most NFL Network I've watched in quite a while. Uh, I watched opening night last night. Had it on today, watching Good Morning Football reruns and then NFL Live. But, uh, yeah, we got a full show today talking Senior Bowl, the absolute... I actually thought it was better than what I thought it was going to be, the Pro Bowl. Um, and then we'll get to some coaching stuff in the NFL. Some injuries a little bit. We'll talk about Super Bowl X factors, and then we'll preview NFL honors as well coming up Thursday night. Um, you see, I got the nice new background for me this show. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Reese's Senior Bowl, the national team blowing out the American team 27 to 10. I have a list of guys that I had a lot of positives for and a couple guys that I had negatives for. Um, but I guess we'll just go through the stats first. Uh, Jake Hayner was absolutely fantastic. I guess I'll kind of mend in, meld in my, my guys on the list anyways. But yeah, Jake Hayner was clearly the best quarterback in Mobile this week uh, or last week. And uh, he led the game in passing 12 of 19, 63.2%, 139 yards, a touchdown. Uh, next quarterback in passing yards there was for the American team, Tyson Bagent, the Division II phenom out of Shepherd in West Virginia. Um, know it well, like I've been saying, Mark worked there uh, just last year as uh, one of the ADs. 17-22, pretty solid completion percentage, 77.3%. Only 138 yards, though, would have liked to see more downfield passing. It was a lot of checkdowns with him. Did throw an interception, kind of ill-advised. Had Should have gotten the ball up a little bit more um, to get over the defender. Clayton Toot actually started for the American team out of Houston. 9-12, uh, of 12, 75%, 70 yards. Malik Cunningham, unfortunately, got hurt in this game. Had two drives, I think it was, for the national team out of Louisville. Three of five passing, 60%, 49 yards a pick. And then five carries, 22 yards. And an ill-advised touchdown run where he fumbled the snap on the one-yard line and, and ran it in uh, for a de facto QB sneak. And then Max Duggan was not very good uh, for the American team, TCU product there four of nine passing 44.4 percent 26 yards um i didn't think duggan really looked good most of the week in the couple practices that i watched he was pretty uh inaccurate as you can see right there uh under 50 percent 
and uh, leadership abound with him, but the play has to get better, uh, or has to be better than in this game anyways, as we saw all year with TCU. Uh, another purple team, Northwestern. Their national team's running back, Evan Hall, led the game in rushing. 10 carries, 74 yards, 2 catches for 11 yards. Um, and then national team wide receiver, Michael Wilson from Stanford. He led the game in receiving 4 catches, 76 yards, a touchdown. Leading the game in receptions, though, was the Americans wide receiver, Jalen Wayne, hometown product there out of South Alabama. Um, and then a couple defensive turnovers here. The American, their only touchdown came off a pick six. Virginia's defensive back, Anthony Johnson, with a 37-yard pick six um, off of Malik Cunningham, which I believe was his first pass of the game. Uh, and then the national team got two turnovers of their own. Maryland's defensive back, Decorian Bennett, had a pick. And Washington State's linebacker, Deion Henley, had a fumble recovery uh, of Chris Rodriguez there. So I, I'll i talk about my, my guys here. I don't know if you had any thoughts on any of the performances last week in Mobile there. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the practices, but I have, you know, I, I've listened to a lot and, and followed on Twitter from a lot of the people who were there. And I think one of the big storylines is the quarterback play um, or lack thereof, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of. That was one of the consensuses um, heading into the week is that, um, you know, this could be the first year in a while um and is most likely going to be the first year in a while that there isn't a first-round player um, who was at the Senior Bowl taken in the draft. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm intrigued by the D-linemen that kind of showed up mm -hmm. uh, at, at Mobile. A um, couple of guys I know had good weeks from what I was able to see from – some stuff on Twitter, some reporters, um, my guy Keanu Benton from Wisco, the D-tackle. Um, I know that Keon White, the edge from Georgia Tech, had a decent week. Um, Daniel Jeremiah has him in his top 10, which is uh, he could be a guy to keep an eye on um, to kind of take a rise here. Um, and then another guy that's intriguing to me is Will McDonald, the edge from Iowa State. Um, kind of a different build, um, mm -hmm. but, and I was watching this today, he has a killer spin move. Like, just, it's teach tape, his spin move. You'd like to see him get some more, um, obviously, pass rush moves in his repertoire, but he's another guy that's interesting. Overall, this edge class is really intriguing and really deep. Yeah, I had a whole list of guys from Wednesday's practice and Thursday's practice, but I'm going to not talk about those. I'm just going to talk about the guys that I witnessed in the game uh, that had good performances. Uh, yeah, Keon White, PFF's got to gotta fix their, their mock draft simulator because in mock drafts, when I've been doing them, he's going like in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone that I've heard has him in the first round. So, uh, But for the guys that I thought, 
I'll go poorly first. The guys that I had negatives on. Unfortunately, the two Georgia players that were there <laughs> were on my negatives list. Uh, Christopher Smith really struggled in coverage a lot uh, in practice and in the game. Uh, I've been very disappointed on what I saw from him in Mobile anyways. Um, not very good play there. Uh, Jack Podlesny, the kicker from Georgia, did not have a good day either. He missed a field goal, um, did make another one. But, um, yeah, at his practice, I didn't get to watch special teams for the national team. But for the American team, the pra the special teams practice that I got to see, he missed quite a few kicks as well. So... Yeah, not good there either. And then Cameron Peoples, the running back from App State, uh, the biggest thing I had for him, he dropped two. Uh, he had two drops almost consecutively, I think. Um, and then he finally caught one on the third try. But, uh, yeah, the drops were not good from Cameron Peoples in the passing game there. Guys that I thought did very well in the game, though. Uh, Florida State's corner, uh, Jamie Robinson, not for his defensive play, even, even though he did have a good week defensively, but his special team's versatility, he uh, dropped a punt. He put down the punt at the one-yard line with a great uh, goal line kind of diving move to throw it back to a teammate there. So I thought that was a big plus in, in seeing him play special teams. Mentioned Jake Hayner. Uh, the tight ends had had a great week as well. Uh, I mentioned Luke Musgrave last week from Oregon State. In the game, though, tight end Payne Durham from Purdue had fantastic catches. I think he only ended up with two catches in this game. But as we saw, the quarterbacks weren't throwing a lot for, for a lot of yards anyways. Um, but the... Positional flexibility, I wrote down for Payne Durham, was evident. He lined up in the backfield a lot at H-back, was able to block uh, as a fullback in a fullback kind of role, and obviously his pass catching. I think I mentioned him earlier last week as well. Um, the catch radius with Payne Durham is really excellent that I saw in Mobile anyways. Uh, Malik Cunningham, I did write him on my positives list. Uh, while he did play, he looked pretty good. I thought, I didn't think he looked that great in practice, uh, but he showed up for the game and played pretty well. We saw what we all knew he could do already, which was run the ball effectively. It was just the passing. Three of five. You know, what can you really see from that? Not a lot, but, you know, he did drive the team down um, for a touchdown there. Michael Wilson, Stanford receiver. Big, big dude. Uh, I believe he's 6'4", right? Something like that. He's got a big frame. Had a great game. As I said, he led the game in receiving, and he's a guy that I really didn't know much about. I didn't know much about him or his teammate, Elijah Higgins, the two Stanford receivers there in Mobile. 
But uh, Wilson really showed out in practice and in the game, so I'm interested to watch him as we move forward in the draft process. Jalen Wayne there, mentioned he led the game in receptions, had a great game. When you catch eight balls in an all-star game, that's, that's something, even though it wasn't for a lot of yards. Um, and then a lineman, right tackle, Darnell Wright, Tennessee, had a fantastic week. Uh, I haven't really looked at the tackle board, but I know this week kind of moved him into the first round by a bunch of people that I've heard um, as maybe the top right tackle. I don't, I don't know right versus left in terms of the tackles in the draft right now. Um, But yeah, Darnell Wright had a great week pass and run blocking. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think he is RT1 right now um, amongst, you know, the top tackles. Yep. That was uh, that was a list that I had. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, national team getting the win in this one. The Pro Bowl is a very simplistic slide um, because ESPN didn't compile stats. Um and you really had to look on the internet to find them because there were three games of flag football, and it was weird because they were telling you stats on the broadcast, but like you, ESPN wouldn't have stats on their app. So I don't know. But the NFC did win 35 to 33. It's the first win. Uh, I know the AFC had won the last five. I don't know if it was more than that streak of AFC wins, but happy to see the NFC win. I always have to root for them since two of my three teams are in the NFC. Um, even though no Panthers played in this game, but uh, yeah, it was it was better than I thought. Like I said, the I didn't really like the skills competition on Thursday night. I thought it was stupid. But the stuff on Sunday, I did think was actually pretty intriguing. Uh, how they and I flag football, as much as I hate it, it looked pretty good um, actually. But they had the one the first game there, which was worth six points, and then they had two events in between. They had the second game, another two events. Uh, they had a freaking halftime concert, and then they uh, played the third game with the starting score being whatever the points were from all the events combined. So I think it started 21-15 AFC was the starting score of the final flag football game, and the NFC was able to come out on top with Kirk Cousins leading the way in the third game against Derek Carr. So Derek Carr goes out a loser in Vegas. <laughs> but yeah, you didn't watch it. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> i i saw I, I saw some clips from uh, from Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean the only the only thing that I remember is seeing a just a a tweet that 
actually made me feel bad for Vikings fans because it was it was from a Vikings fan that was talking about Kirk Cousins in game performance and how it can be, you know, the start of something nice going into next year and how this is what Kirk Cousins is going to look like from a clean pocket. <laughs> My man, it's it's flag football. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's really just for fun. Um yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, NFC wins 35-33 over the AFC. One USFL news item. The USFL announced its 2023 schedule today. Uh, Each team posted on their social media at a certain hour today. Uh, My Memphis Showboats were at 12 p.m. Eastern. They will be the uh, first game. On April 15th, the opening weekend is April 15th and 16th. April 15th, we'll have the Memphis Showboats against uh, the Philadelphia Stars. That will be at uh, 4.30. And then at 7.30, the the defending USFL champion Birmingham Stallions will take on the New Jersey Generals, uh, which was the inaugural kickoff game last year. Um, and then Sunday, April 16th, the Michigan Panthers uh, will be against the Houston Gamblers at 12 p.m. And then at 6.30 p.m., the Pittsburgh Maulers will face off against the New Orleans Breakers. So, yeah, I'm excited for April. Got US, uh, Got XFL coming in two weeks. Very hyped about that as well. Um... College football news, just one thing. Former Bucks offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich has reached out to Marcus Freeman and the Irish and the Irish at Notre Dame uh, about their open offensive coordinator position now that Tommy Reese has left for Alabama. Uh, Notre Dame looking for a new OC. Byron Leftwich would be an intriguing candidate. There has been conversation between Marcus Freeman and Leftwich. Um, just waiting to hear if anything comes to that or not. So, I don't think he has any experience in college, though, which would be weird. I don't know. Okay, NFL news, general stuff here. Tom Brady, in the news again, uh, <laughs> announced... On uh, Colin Coward's show that uh, he will not begin his broadcasting career uh, with Fox until 2024. Going to take uh, 2023 off to learn and and do everything. Make sure he hits the ground running in 2024 and the broadcast boot. So we'll, we'll let Tom go into isolation for um, a year. <laughs> Cardinals wide receiver AJ Green he has announced his retirement. Uh, pretty solid career. Played with the Bengals from 2011 through 2020, and the Cardinals 21 and 22. Uh, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time Second Team All-Pro. In the regular season, he had 158 games, 144 starts, 727 receptions on. Uh, 
1,269 targets, 10,514 receiving yards, 70 receiving touchdowns. He also ran 11 times for 93 yards. And in the playoffs, he started and he played and started in five games, 18 receptions on 43 targets, 232 yards, and one touchdown. Um, but yeah, it's not you know not Hall of Fame worthy, but all, overall a pretty solid career for AJ Green. Yeah, really great career. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a guy that. Unfortunately, I think if he put up those stats on uh, more competitive teams um, than the Bengals were in those years with him, um, he, he could make an argument um, maybe um, for pushing that envelope a little bit. But still an amazing year uh, or amazing career. Hats off to him. Um, and really just he's a fun guy to watch, man. Yeah. One of the premier wide receivers of the 2010s, for sure. Uh, yeah, Hall of, Hall of Fame-wise, uh, uh, his career receiving yards mark is just 49th in NFL history. So, uh, not up there with the best of them. Uh, how about let's talk about your quarterback. You got your Packers banner behind you there uh aaron Rodgers hasn't decided yet on whether he's even going to play in 2023 and luckily for you i have the, the the tweets the tweet thread bookmarked um <laughs> for his his um spread on the pat mcafee show which he's a regular member of. Uh, so what he said on the Pat McAfee show, he said uh, about getting recruited by the Raiders fans, for one, at Pebble Beach. He said, I'm under contract with the Packers. People forget that. That gets lost in conversation. Um, and then he said they asked him about retiring in the – that he won't retire in the same offseason as Brady. Said the idea that I wouldn't want to share a stage at the Hall of Fame with Tom Brady and J.J. Watt I think is ridiculous. And then it gets interesting, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. <laughs> he said uh, he has an opportunity to, to do a little self-reflection and some isolation after that. Uh, he feels like he'll be a lot closer to that final final decision and that he said he's not even decided yet on whether he's going to play in 2023 he said that's why he thinks it's going to be important to get through this week and take his isolation retreat and contemplate all things about his future uh it's a darkness retreat (laughs) so he will be in pitch black all day and night for four days and nights. <laughs> mm-hmm. He said it's it's really sensory deprivation isolation. And mm-hmm. it, it stimulates DMT and there can be some hallucinations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it, that was just absolutely hilarious. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know what more to say. My first thought when I heard that was, is that even safe? Like, is the human body even supposed to, like, be put in total darkness without sunlight <laughs> for that long? Like, it just doesn't seem like a great idea. It's not healthy for the skin, that's for sure. He's not going to no, get any of that vitamin C. Vitamin D. Which is probably why you start hallucinating. <laughs> so I don't know why why you would do that uh, intentionally, but he said that he's heard, you know, he has people <laughs> in his circle who have done it, of course, and have had profound experiences from it. Um, it scares me that he's waiting until after that happens uh, <laughs> to make his decision. <laughs> it makes it almost seem like there's a lot riding on that, uh, he's that isolation retreat in terms of his decision making. He's, um, he's gonna have he's gonna have an epiphany and a vision in this cave. What I'm thinking of it is, is he's in a cave for like four days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what it sounds like. I think he said it's a house, but like oh. it has to be something where you can block everything out. Either way, it does. It sounds like like you know, like some epiphany is going to happen that someone is going to spiritually going to visit him in this retreat and tell him that what he's going to do with his career. I mean, I think realistically, he's more of a, he has to be more. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a really smart guy. So I, I don't think realistically he's putting this on a sensory deprivation retreat. Um, but yeah, I mean. I want to, I want to know if he like, is he allowed to get like night vision goggles so right. like he can make food and stuff. Right? Yeah. Like, does <laughs> what he is he gonna have, eat? Like, a stack of food next to him. Like, what is he? You can't. You can't even like read or like. You can't watch you TV. Know. You know. Yeah. What do you like? What do you occupy your time with? Just your, just your thoughts for four days and four nights. I and think he, I actually would go clinically insane. And like, he smokes. Have to he smokes peyote during. I don't know, man. I mean, look, more power to him. Just, uh, yeah. But that bit about not caring about retiring and sharing the podium with Brady, I'm not buying that at all. Not not for a chance do I think he'll retire and want to share that that spotlight with with the GOAT. Yeah. I mean, J.J. Watt's fine with it, but he didn't really have a choice. Brady retired after him. Right. <laughs> uh but yeah aaron Rodgers. it's it's great because it's it's so great that i i saw that today and that happened today because my federal indian law teacher this morning was making fun of aaron Rodgers <laughs> and saying and saying all the stuff that he's been get, doing and saying the last like year or whatever about his spirituality and stuff uh, and saying he's gone like full Californian, which is kind of true. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. He did a, uh, this was yesterday, he did an astrology Zoom. Jesus. With, it's hilarious. And I'll have to send you that thread. One of, one of the Packers beat reporters actually 
he did God's work and watched it so that the rest of Packers Nation didn't have to. <laughs> and he live tweeted it. And apparently there's a section where they talk about how Devonta Adams' pain tolerance and will to win is because he's a Capricorn or something <laughs> like whatever his astrology sign is you can't make this stuff up it's just it's too good all right let's move on to the coaching carousel here uh so new broncos head coach sean payton officially signed his five-year deal signed through 2027 now um had his press conference the other day thought it was pretty good he went off script he, he didn't have anything written down because he said he did that for his introductory press conference in New Orleans. And he said he, he didn't want to do that for for this one. So he didn't have anything written down. He just was off the cuff there. Um, and one interesting note asked of him afterwards was about Russell Wilson's personal trainer being in the building. It, it, it gave me deja vu of Tom Brady. <laughs> Uh, with his personal trainer. What was that guy's name again? Isn't it? I don't remember. Alex something? I don't know. But yeah, if you remember... What up, man? <laughs> What's going on, guys? Nothing much. <laughs> hello, you, missed, hello. you missed us talking to Peyote and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> He's going to go to a darkness retreat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah... Um, Sean Payton saying Russell Wilson's personal trainer pretty much not not going to be there. Not going to be allowed in the building. <laughs> Literally what – I mean, that's what Bill Belichick did to, to Tom Brady's guy. So um, I understand it. It's I, I think that's the right decision. It was just – I know a lot of people are were kind of taken aback by the fact that Payton would make such a blatant statement uh, with many people – saying that you know there was probably no conversation with russell yet because he literally just got hired mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it is definitely interesting but i think at the same time too like russell doesn't really have uh, much leverage <laughs> in the matter because the last two seasons have been objectively just not not good seasons for him um, and he kind of has to prove next year that he hasn't kind of fallen off a cliff here, essentially. Um, so, I mean, look, you kind of have to, you kind of have to buy into what Peyton wants to do. Um, and I think the team will be better for it. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. I think, I, I think the media definitely knew what they were doing and baiting them into that question but i thought he handled it as well as a, a professional can, can handle it he, he just said you know that's new to me that's not going to happen under my watch and, and i think it also goes a long way with ownership hiring sean payton because he he himself has a pedigree to say look i was successful i coached a hall of fame quarterback and like to your point you mentioning his last few seasons have not been good, so he Russell doesn't have a leg to, to stand on, in my opinion, in, in this discussion or argument, if they want to make it an argument. Yeah, 
and it makes a statement right off the bat from Coach Payton about what the culture is going to be in Denver from here on out. Oh, yeah. I fully expect Denver to be pretty competitive under his watch. Uh, moving to the Colts, uh, Colts owner Jim Ursay tweeting out a pretty lengthy tweet there saying that uh, they're – their coaching search has been probably one of the broadest searches we've seen in recent history. Um, and that the decision, while the fans want a decision made, uh, he told the fans kind of straight up that it's not going to be made in hours. It's going to be made in the next couple of days. So we're still waiting to hear on who the Colts are going after. As, I mean, at this point, I feel like it has to be one of the two Eagles off one of the two Eagles coordinators, because why would you wait this long? I mean, it's the same thing in Arizona. There aren't like guys are getting jobs. Offensive and defensive coordinators are being hired. Um, so with two head coaching spots still open, it puts a lot of thought in my mind anyways, as an Eagles fan that Shane Steichen is probably going to be one of the two head coaches there. I can see that. Um, and speaking of coordinator hires, um, the Cowboys have their new offensive coordinator promoting from within. They promoted uh, coaching analyst Brian Schottenheimer, uh, former Jags offensive coordinator, I believe, uh, was his last coordinator position, I think. But uh, Mike McCarthy's going to call plays, so Schottenheimer's just going to be there for fun. (laughs) (laughs) And to console Dak when he throws picks. Uh, The Panthers, they have a new defensive coordinator, and I absolutely love this hire by Frank Reich, hiring former Broncos defensive coordinator Ejiro Evero uh, I mean, that is fantastic. As the Panthers, their defense was already pretty good. Um, I believe they ended up 17th, I think, in total defense. But overall, I thought they were a lot better than what that said about their team. Uh, so, yeah, getting Evro was a great hire by mm-hmm. Frank Reich there in Carolina. Yeah. I mean, definitely one of the more co- uh, coveted coordinators left, if not the most. Um, and, you know, getting him to be able to come in and coach a young but really solid core of defenders, um, you know, is, is really going to help that, that side of the ball. The Saints also have a new D.C. It is uh, former Browns defensive coordinator Joe Woods has a connection to head coach Dennis Allen. They coached together when Allen was uh, the coach of the Raiders. So a connection there. And uh, so Joe Woods already knows what what Dennis Allen wants to do on defense, which is nice continuity there. Uh, The Vikings have their new defensive coordinator. Hiring Steelers defensive senior defensive assistant slash linebackers coach Brian Flores. That's another excellent hire by a team 
Uh, Vikings, a defense that really needs help after we saw what happened in the wild card game against the Giants. Um, Daniel Jones absolutely shredding them. So Flores got his work cut out, and they got to get some more more talent on that defense. But uh, I think overall he'll be, do a good job there for Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they definitely have a lot of personnel issues to address the thing on that side of the ball, but a really good coach, which I believe Flores definitely is, um, can mitigate a lot of that and cover up a lot of personnel issues through scheme. Um, so, yeah, I mean, slam dunk hire um, for the Vikes. Um, yeah. And one more defensive coordinator. Uh, the 49ers have, have found their D'Amico Ryan's replacement. It is former Panthers interim head coach Steve Wilkes. And I think that's another great defensive coordinator hire. I mean, he was D.C. with Carolina before becoming the interim head coach. And he did for the Panthers what made their defense good this year. So... Uh, and he's coming into such an easy situation with with the amount of talent they have on defense there in San Francisco. It, it should be uh, relatively easy there for uh, Steve Wilkes. Yeah, yeah, I was I was excited for this hire just because you know you and I both follow Panthers with my wife being a big time fan, and what he did after coming in as the interim coach was a turnaround and I just think it's a home run hire again for Shanahan. Just like we were talking about Flores and Vikings, a couple of great hires. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is huge, not just, you know, obviously Wilkes's resume speaks for itself, but also being able to inject that experience in. One of the things mm-hmm. we don't talk about a lot is that the coaching kind of staff in um, San Fran has kind of been depleted because they've been so good and um, Shanahan has kind of created his own coaching tree here. Um, so it, it it was very um, clear that they were going to have to bring hopefully somebody in, um, you know, who, who wasn't, you know, green, who wasn't um, too inexperienced. And they got probably the most experienced um, coordinator uh, defensive coordinator out there. So, um, yeah, great hire. Yeah, and I know someone mentioned this when uh, Wilkes was announced as the new D.C. that the last two defensive coordinators under Kyle Shanahan have both became head coaches, Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans now. So uh, we'll look for Wilkes maybe even next year, possibly, depending on how San Fran plays on defense in 2023. Um, and then Stay one... On. Oh, go, go ahead, Mark. That was the first thing that came to my head when Flores and Wilkes were announced as DC. Is I I see both of them being in line for another head coaching job in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. I think Flores uh, probably ahead of Wilkes in that regard, considering he's been a head coach before. Even though obviously Wilkes been an interim head coach uh, for a good amount of games. Usually, you don't see the interim head coach. Uh, get that many games in a season uh, with the firing relatively early in the year by uh, David Tepper of Matt Rule. But yeah, 
Uh, and then last one here, Titans. They have their new offensive coordinator promoting from within like the Cowboys did, promoting pass game coordinator Tim Kelly to offensive coordinator. Uh, so continuity within the offense, and uh, they can keep the same system, just get Kelly's wrinkles in there and uh, go forward with uh, Derrick Henry. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned the Cardinals coaching search when talking about the Colts. They have their finalists. Uh, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo is having a second interview and is one of the finalists, as is Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka. They announced that he's having his second interview this week as well. Like I mentioned, though, the Cardinals' third finalist is also Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. Um, so he is in the running still for that as well. We'll see if the Cardinals hire before or after the Super Bowl. Uh, guys that were told they are out of the running, Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. We're still waiting to see if he will be let out of his contract or not. Uh, Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn and Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan uh, all out in Arizona. Chiefs uh, making some IR moves. They activated running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire off of IR, put wide receiver Mecole Hardman on IR. Uh, so Mecole will miss the Super Bowl. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I heard it's not guaranteed that he's going to play uh, or be active. Um, which Maurice Jones-Drew made a, a bunch of good points on NFL Live on NFL Network today, you know, mentioning – if if he can actually help you, like yeah, you should play him. But if he's gonna mess up the the mojo of Pacheco and McKinnon, it's probably best to just leave him inactive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Casey's kind of got. I, I think at this point, you kind of have to ride the hot hand and kind of the horse that got you there. And Pacheco has been pretty pretty good runner for them, north and south. And McKinnon's been doing well in passing situations. So, yeah. Well, and that's what I've been saying about the Eagles punting situation. I don't know why people are talking about Aaron Sipos just because he got activated off IR. If it were up to me, I'd let Brett Kern run with it because he's been doing a fine job. But uh, apparently, Sip Boss uh, might get the nod there in the Super Bowl. You know, being a former coach, I believe in in not messing up. You know, the continuity or the chemistry that has been working, especially in a playoff run. However, I will draw back to the Rams and Patriots Super Bowl, and if Todd Gurley was fully healthy, and there's been reports that he was. We didn't use him in that Super Bowl, and the outcome was we scored three points. So <laughs> I believe Andy Reid knows what he's doing, and, and if he thinks Clyde can can give him a boost and he's healthy, you got you got to play who can get you that W, that's for sure. Yeah, I think they will activate him just to activate him and, and have him in, in case they want to play him or need to play him. 
<clears throat> Injury-wise, Chiefs getting some good news today. Corner Legeria Sneed uh, actually said last night at uh, opening night there that he has clear concussion protocol, is on track to play this week. Uh, I did hear something that mentioned he will... He said he will not be following number one, uh, which is A.J. Brown, I would assume anyways, uh, that they're calling number one A.J. Brown. So we'll have to see what Spagnolo has for his coverages and assignments there for the secondary. Uh, also, Andy Reid mentioning today Patrick Mahomes' ankle is definitely not 100%, which I thought was an intriguing quote. I just, I have no doubt that by the time the game comes that Patrick Mahomes' ankle isn't going to be 100%. I, I, it's the same feeling I had going into the AFC Championship game that it's not going to affect him that much. And now that he had two extra weeks to get it rested, I, I just can't fathom that it would not be 100% or 99.9% .9 going into the Super Bowl on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that could be a little uh, gamesmanship there from Reed. Um, you know, wouldn't put it past him. Uh, yeah. I I took it as, as some game gamesmanship. I mean, when you think about it, whether they shoot some painkillers in it or just the pure adrenaline from being in the Super Bowl and in the great atmosphere, I have no doubt that. Patrick Mahomes is going to play football like Patrick Mahomes plays football. One thing that they did say, though, is that uh, all the practices this week so far have just been walkthroughs and last week as well. Um, so, you know, Thursday, Friday will be the two full speed practices that will really determine on how he's feeling there. Uh, and then one other non-Super Bowl injury to talk about. Browns defensive end Miles Garrett uh, dislocated his toe at the Pro Bowl. Um, doesn't require surgery, so not serious, but uh, worth mentioning, I th thought. Okay. Uh, Super Bowl X-Factors. We got our four up here. Uh, I guess we we can all kind of discuss Peter's since he's not here. Peter, his kind of goes hand in hand with Mark's, but Peter's X factor in this Super Bowl Fifty Seven was the Eagles' defensive line, uh, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I don't know if it's really an X factor because we've been talking about it so much, um, but yeah. I mean, third most sacks in NFL history in the regular season. Uh, they need five in the Super Bowl to break the 84 Bears record uh, for most all-time, including the playoffs, in one season. So hopefully they can get that done. If they do, I would have to assume they will be winning that game. Uh, but y'all's thoughts on Eagles' defensive line... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk, I think I mentioned on the show, I think Rasan, uh, uh, Hassan Reddick has probably been the best signing of the off season. Um, 
I mean, just the return on investment for what his contract was at a relatively cheap price for his position has just been outstanding and has really um, given a boost to, I mean, what has already, what was already a good D line. Um, but now they just kind of have an embarrassment of riches there um, and multiple guys, um, you know, who are going to, going to be able to get after the quarterback. Yeah, I, I echo that sentiment. My X factors are for the Super Bowl on both sides really are the defense. And we're talking about the D-line. Mine specifically in a text message for Rusty this week was Reddick. And he single-handedly beat San Francisco by himself almost when you go back and watch that. I mean, he lived in their backfield. I think that if you, you know, scheme the right way, he should be a spy on uh, Patrick Mahomes. And can he get in the backfield and pressure Patrick Mahomes and get him uncomfortable because he's a physical guy. If you're physical with Patrick Mahomes and his ankle isn't 100%, that, that helps you in your case. And on the other side of the ball, I just I think it comes down to how the Chiefs' secondary plays. I, mean, I think both quarterbacks are championship-level quarterbacks, franchise quarterbacks. And, you know, how do you contain A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith on the other side of the ball? Playing against a lot of rookies. I was I was thinking about doing A.J. Brown as my X-Factor, but I don't think that would be I, I, count. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think those are the two X-Factors. Can the Eagles get pressure on Patrick Mahomes? And can the Chiefs contain the wide receivers on the outside in their speed? Yeah, the defensive line you're talking about, uh, you know, they're going to be 10 active. Most teams only have eight, right? Two sets of four. But the Eagles run 10 on game days usually because they are so deep and they can uh, rotate very well. Their guys are never tired because of that rotation. Um, I think Mahomes might do some hurry-up stuff to quell that rotation if he can can help it. Uh, but I think the way that the D-line really affects Mahomes is you have Fletcher Cox and really the the biggest interior force, you know, everyone talks about Fletcher Cox, but Javon Hargrave has had a banner year, um, 11 and a half sacks, I believe, in the regular season. And uh, him to get pressure pushing him towards Reddick and, you know, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, whoever's playing on the opposite side. Um, and that's why they, that's why Reddick playing on the left side of the defense, offense is right, is such a big factor because rushing on Patrick Mahomes' front side is, they're, they're going to try to force him to run left, which is going to be the biggest key to to figure out whether his ankle is 100% or not. Um, so that kind of segues us into Logan's X Factor. Go ahead. Yeah. So I know we kind of talked about it a little before, and it's going to be interesting how much of a factor it does end up playing because it's kind of up in the air. But I did have the health of Patrick Mahomes' ankle as kind of my X Factor, one of my determining factors. And not that Patrick Mahomes can't be great on a bum leg. We saw that in both the divisional round 
and the conference championship game where he can be just as good of a passer, but more of just being able to play as himself and being able to play naturally. Um, And it kind of ties in with what we just talked about, the Eagles D-line. The Bengals have a really good defense, a really underrated defense, and a really good D-line. They don't have the dudes that the Eagles do. Mm. Uh, Eagles are going to be able to get pressure um, at um, Patrick Mahomes at certain times in this game. Um, And his ability to be mobile, even if it's just moving in the pocket, is going to be... Um, I think a big factor. Um, and the thing is with sprains is that they can flare up, they can get better. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, an unknown thing. Um, so I think how healthy that is, is still very, could be, um, a potential factor. Now we just, we just talked about a few minutes ago, it could be a nothing. You know, it could be just some gamesmanship from Andy Reid. He's actually, you know, all good almost, maybe at 99% or something like that. Um, but we don't know. We won't know until we get um, into the game. What I need to see on Sunday when warm-ups begin is when Patrick Mahomes comes out, is that ankle wrapped? <laughs> Do we think it's going to be wrapped regardless? Uh, because if, if it's healthy that rap will limit his mobility anyways uh, with how tightly they have to wrap it. So, yeah. I'm interested to see if it's wrapped or not. Uh, last one here is mine. Uh, my X-Factor switched. I originally was going to go with the Eagles offensive line. Um, but I thought that was too broad, and everyone talks about Jason Kelsey and the Eagles O-line, Lane Johnson, etc. So I went kind of outside the box, and a guy that's had a great postseason so far, Kenneth Gainwell is my X-Factor. Look, there was a guy that came out of the woodwork in the Eagles' 2017 playoff run when they won Super Bowl 52. That guy's name was Corey Clement. And, I mean, why can't Kenneth Gainwell be this version of the Eagles' Corey Clement? I mean, he's had amazing postseason success, 100-yard performance in the divisional round against the Giants. He didn't play as much last week. Miles Sanders really took the torch last week in the run game. But I'm just saying, I think Kenneth Gainwell is going to be a big factor in this game, uh, whether that's pass in the pass game or in the run game, because he can do both so well. And I wouldn't be surprised if they run some two-back sets with Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell to utilize the versatility that both of those guys can offer, along with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I, I think it's... It's a really good point. Shout out Wisconsin great, Corey Clement. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I think what's really interesting about um, the two backs you mentioned is that I think they can both give you very different things, and I think it can make things really tough for a defense to be able to key in. I think Miles Sanders is really great at being patient um, and especially being a part of those read option designs where you you hold off until the very last um, second for the defense to show their hand 
and then you can kind of, um, you know, turn it up field and be patient. Gainwell, I think, on the other hand, is just kind of that spark plug where it's just, hey, look, man, we're going to give you the rock. Just use that speed um, to get as much yards as you can. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely, um, definitely, I think, one of those things that could be an X factor. And kind of adjacent to that is how successful they can be on the ground um, is also going to really help manage time of possession. And I think the more you can keep Patrick Mahomes on that bench, mm-hmm. um, the the better chance you have of winning. So the stiffer yeah, your I ankle gets. A, <laughs> I think it's amazing. It, it makes me laugh because you're talking about somebody in the run game being successful. And we're talking about uh, Eagles having success on the defensive line. It sounds like another champion past two years that we're very um, partial to. And that that's Georgia football is you win in the trenches. And I think if your X factor has a good game, then you're like Logan just said, you're controlling the line of scrimmage, time of possession, pace of the game. And then if you're getting to the quarterback and your defensive line and Reddick's having a good game, that's a championship football formula right there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we will make our picks and many other things we will talk about on Friday's show, which I'll kind of preview at the end. But how about let's let's transition to NFL Honors. That is going to be Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on NBC, Peacock, and NFL Network. Mark, you got to stay up late for that one on Thursday, 9 p.m. where you're at. I'll be uh, <laughs> traveling with our women's basketball team as a administrator. All right. Well, make sure make sure the ladies the ladies go to bed and then and then you can have your time watching NFL <laughs> honors. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we we kind of previewed this already when the finalists came out, but we're gonna give kind of our official picks on who we think uh, is gonna win these awards on Thursday. So, starting off, MVP, the finalists are Bills quarterback Josh Allen, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson, and Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Um, New voting system this year for MVP. It is no longer a uh, solo, like, first place. You vote who you want, who you think, who you want to win. It's like the Heisman. You vote your top five in in whatever order you want them uh, to finish, and the guy with the most first place votes wins. So it's also interesting. I am conflicted, y'all, because of the MVP curse. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, the the AP NFL MVP that has played in the Super Bowl, has lost every single time. The last one to do it has was Kurt Warner in 1999 with the Rams uh, to win the Super Bowl as the MVP of that season. So I am conflicted. I've been petitioning for Jalen Hurts to win MVP all year. I do think it's going to be Patrick Mahomes, and that would spell good news for the Eagles. 
but at the same time, I kind of want to see Hertz win it. <laughs> I I don't know. I I I think it's going to be Hertz, best team in football and best player this year. I think for me, if I was picking it, I have to go with Mahomes. Uh, I just think that in terms of talent and just the overall produ- uh, production, um, you know, he just had a, a quiet – it was quiet because I think that there was a lot of Chiefs fatigue out there. But if you look at it, it's it's one of the best seasons in NFL history, you know. Um, so, I mean, I think that is deserving of – of MVP, um, yeah, and especially coming off of a year where he lost, you know, arguably his top target in uh, Tyreek Hill, and that there was some rumblings in the offseason about, hey, is this going to be a different Patrick Mahomes that we're kind of looking at um, for him to just come out and continue to not lose a step, I think, does deserve uh, that distinction. So Logan, I do. I go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I I do believe that Mahomes and Hurts, way, whichever way it it ends up panning out, will go one and two in my opinion. I think. Yeah. And, and and Logan makes a great point: losing your best receiver and still having a great season. And these are the only two guys, in my opinion, that's been talked about mostly all season. Some Josh Allen, but he faded had some turnover issues. But I, I think what tips it is, you haven't seen anyone, He, you know, you're, you're talking about Hurts being compared to what he's doing on the ground and through the air, comparing him to Michael Vick. Jordan. I just, I, I think it's hard not to vote him and with the Eagles having the best re- record. But I definitely think it's those two guys wanted to. So what I'm hearing is y'all are petitioning the Associated Press to add Patrick Mahomes to the Comeback Player of the Year <laughs> voting <laughs> because he went through such a hardship of losing his best friend Tyreek Hill. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> And he was depressed from the loss in the AFC Championship last year, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Defensive Player of the Year, you got the Niners defensive end Nick Bosa, Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones, Cowboys linebacker Micah Parsons. I'll let uh, you go first, Logan. I mean, it's never going to happen, but I have seen some really good arguments for Chris Jones. Um and you could definitely make the argument in terms of it's not an MVP award, but I think in terms of the most impactful um, defensive player um, for their team, I think Chris Jones could definitely be it. But I think it's going to be Nick Bosa, um, and I don't think he's undeserving of that. Obviously, he was the sack leader this year, um, but apart from just the, the raw volume and numbers, I mean, he is a game wrecker. There's no doubt about it. Um one of the premier pass rushers in the league. Um, yeah. Didn't realize he had 17 and a half sacks until I looked it up. I was like, holy crap. Um, Mark, your thoughts? Three very deserving 
players. Um, I am going to be in the same boat as Logan with Bosa taking the award home. It's hard to not give it to anybody that, that leads the league in sacks because we know that this is a let's swing the football error that we're watching and viewing, and it's and, and enjoyable. Um, I'm partial to Micah Parsons because I do think the way that Logan is saying Chris Jones impacts the defense, I believe that Micah Parsons is a anchor of the Cowboys' defense, and without him, I don't think they're in half the games that mm-hmm. they won this year. Yeah, well, your boy Hassan Reddick didn't make the list. Uh, you know, he he tied he tied Chris Jones for second in the league in sacks at seventeen and a half in the regular season. Um, but yeah, I I want to go Micah Parsons partially because I have a preseason bet on him five <laughs> to win thirty bucks um, for defensive player of the year honors. But also, like Mark was saying, I mean, there were some games this year where Parsons unblockable. I mean, the quickness of him getting around the edge and the fact that he's kind of pretty much wholly transitioned to the defensive end slash outside linebacker role in that Dallas defense, um, even though he didn't have the sack numbers that he did as a rookie, I still think uh, with his overall impact on the defense, Micah Parsons is a good shot to win. And I think uh, just like the MVP, I think it's going to be very close between Bosa and Parsons, uh, unfortunately, for Chris Jones' candidacy there. Offensive player of the year. This is weird. I didn't. I thought there was only three players on this list, and I, I had to double-check a couple sources today. And there are actually four, <laughs> apparently, which I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. There's usually only three. But Offensive Player of the Year up for it is Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill, which was the guy I didn't see on the initial list. I don't know when he was added. Uh, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson. And Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Mark, you're up. Man, those are four bad dudes and I mean in a good way they they get it done on the football field you know Tyreek Hill's interesting because he goes to a new team and look at how amazing his numbers are he instantly makes Tua a better quarterback opens up the field for the Dolphins Um, Patrick Mahomes loses him still has an amazing season right and then Jalen Hurts we just talked about his numbers and being compared to Mike Vic. But for me, I, I, if I had a vote in the room, I would vote for Jefferson for the fact that in all those close games, he was the X factor for the Vikings, and he makes Kirk Cousins who Kirk Cousins is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to wholeheartedly agree. I think he goes to Jefferson. I, I think that you just look at who was the best offensive skill position this year. I think he was. I think he was the best um, offensive player. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about Micah Parsons and them. what their record be like without him. I think you could say the same thing uh, for the Vikings. I mean, he makes a lot of that offense tick, even though everyone knows 
he's the guy. Uh, yeah. He's still able to just put up insane numbers. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd be very deserving. Yeah, I'm on the number 18 train as well. Um, Let's go. Because, you know, the they're not going to do a quarterback MVP, quarterback offensive player of the year. That just it just doesn't happen. Even though we are in a quarterback league, um, I think his MVP candidacy would have been a hell of a lot better had he broken Calvin's record. Uh, yes. But he did not. So definitely think best offensive skill position player this year was uh, J.J. in mini. Offensive rookie of the year. This is where my issues start, y'all. <laughs> we have 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker III. And Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson Purdy should not be on this list, people. Yeah. Six yeah. regular season games. Six. That's just, that's not even close to enough. And, and I know people are making the argument, well, if Purdy had only six games, Brees Hall only played six games, and I agree. I don't think Brees Hall should be on the list either. Um, you know, I think, why not Kenny Pickett? I, I mean, he played almost the entire season. His stats weren't that great, and he wouldn't win the award when put up against Walker or Wilson. But I think he should be the third guy on the list because of what he did for the Steelers and how that offense improved over the season and that the fact that he took them to a 6-2 and two record in the second half of the season. Here's my thing with, you know, if we're comparing the two six-game stretches, I think I'd rather still have Brees Hall over Brock Purdy's six games, yeah, you know? I mean, sure. And I think if, if Brees Hall stays healthy, he runs away with this award, mm. and it's not even close. Um, I think the guy who deserves it, I think, is Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think they're going to give it to Purdy. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, no. I think they're going to do it. Um, Gary Wilson. They love creating kind of a narrative a lot around a lot of these um, awards, generating some buzz. Um, it'll definitely get clicks on Twitter and and all that. Everybody, you know, up up in arms. Um, I would not be shocked to see them do it. Yeah, I. For me, I'm in the same boat of it's a small sample size. The other question I would raise in having these three is, does that show you that we didn't have a lot of rookies that performed well on the offensive side? But I, I do think it centers around marketing. Um, it is a cool story. Last pick, he comes in, he's 6-0. and And so I, I do think there's a story around it. For me, Garrett or Kenneth, I wouldn't – I think there's an argument for both of them. You know, being a Jets wide receiver and going through that quarterback carousel and, and putting up good numbers is uh, is something to be proud of and, and deserving of an award. And then the Seahawks were in the playoff hunt all season long, and having their rookie quarterback in Walker was a big reason for that. So I think there's an argument for both of those guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm still sticking with Garrett Wilson. Led the rookies in receiving yards in a 
good class against Chris Olave, uh, Drake London as well, uh, and Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, but uh, led all rookies in receiving yards, 1,103. He was actually interviewed on NFL uh, Live today, which was cool to see him and Sauce. Sauce was interviewed on on uh, Good Morning Football, but Wilson on NFL Live today and at the Super Bowl. Uh, speaking of a Sauce, Defensive Rookie of the Year honors, Jets corner Sauce Gardner, Lions defensive end Aiden Hutchinson, and the Seahawks corner Tariq Woolen. Logan, your pick. I mean, if I had a vote on this, I think it'd be Sauce by a good margin, uh, in my opinion. I mean, just being able to come in and just literally being a shutdown corner in a league that has become this pass-happy, uh, as Mark mentioned, is just a really incredible feat, especially when you look at, you know, kind of the division they're in, you know, Stephon Diggs, Jalen Waddle, um, Tyreek Hill. Um, I mean, just... And I loved Sauce in the pre-draft process. Um, you you can't teach just his his body type and his dimensions and his still still being able to to use speed um, to pair with that length. Um, I mean, to me, I think he is the most deserving of this award. But kind of like how we talked about with Rookie of the Year, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Hutchinson just for the. We like sacks factor, you know, um, and it's hard to quantify um, Sauce's um, impact because, you know, he didn't put up double-digit interceptions um, because they weren't throwing at him. Um, so, you know, again, if I had the vote, who I think is most deserving uh, is, is definitely Sauce Gardner. Um, but wouldn't be surprised if they gave a touch and said, who also had a great year. I just don't think he, he was quite to that level. Logan, I mentioned, I, I, I heard you uh, decline to mention any Patriots wide receivers on that list <laughs> when talking about AFC East receivers. Uh, throw in some shade at Jacoby Myers and Tyquan Thornton and Devontae Parker. <laughs> hey, I, I like Jacoby Myers. I just wouldn't put him in that, uh, <laughs> that upper echelon of dudes. Um, yeah, Mark, Mark, you, go ahead. I'm, I'm Logan and I are just riding the same wave today. I, I think by a mile, if I was voting, I would uh, pencil in Sauce Gardner. And, and a litmus test for everybody should be, is Sauce Gardner worthy of being – First team all defense in NFL in his rookie season. And he was. Yes or no? He's his first team all pro and a pro bowler. So why would this guy not win rookie of the year? You know what I mean? Like, if you make those teams and you go to it, automatically common sense would say, oh, he's the rookie of the year. We forget he's a rookie because he's earned these. So mm-hmm. that, to me, it's no question. And let's – Let's be honest about the matter, too. If your name is Sauce and you're good at football, my, everything's – that's the coolest name in the world. Come on. <laughs> I can tell you from having to sit through his Buffalo Wild Wings commercial many times over, I absolutely hate his name um, because that is the most annoying commercial. Don't be a hater. 
That is the most yeah. annoying commercial that I know on on cable television right now. Um, <laughs> no chance it's cho- it's top in the Whopper commercial. But, no shot. But <laughs> in that in that regard, that's why I would give it to Eight Hundred because I don't like Sauce's name. <laughs> Go back to Ahmad. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I think Sauce is gonna win it though. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson led all all rookies in sacks, I believe, ten and a half in his rookie year. Um, Sauce though shut down, led all rookies in pass breakups. I think it was uh, Tariq Woolen though. Not, both of y'all didn't mention him. Uh, Tariq Woolen, I absolutely loved that steal in the fifth round by John Schneider last year out of UTSA, had a great campaign. Really, I think, similar to what Sauce did. Uh, you know, it's just, I think Sauce had a, a pretty, uh, a lot better season and, and was more dominant than Woolen was as he had some growing pains, especially early on in the season for Seattle. Yeah, definitely a good shout-out for Tariq Wallen. Um, all three of these guys really did have amazing seasons. Um, I think just for the reasons that we kind of outlined, I think just Sauce is in that different tier, man. Just coming in and immediately being not just playing like a veteran, but an elite veteran is just something that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Tariq Wallen also a pro bowler. I want to mention mm-hmm. that. Uh, comeback player of the year, Giants running back Saquon Barkley, 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey, and Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. Mark, go ahead. Man, can they, uh, they, they, in my opinion, they all could win for their own reasons. McCaffrey had such a big impact on two teams. He single-handedly you know, was doing everything for the 49ers in the playoffs. Saquon had a big year for the Giants. They make the playoffs. I think, in my opinion, I would personally vote for Geno Smith because I didn't have any expectations for him. I figured Seattle would lose Russ. They would be the dwelling spot of of their division, and he would stink it up. And he did completely the opposite. And that's, to me, why I would vote for him. I don't know if that's the greatest test or mm. the greatest reason to vote him, but that's who my vote would go to. Yeah. I, have... I, I, ex- I, I expect McCaffrey and Saquon to be great players. Does that make sense? Yeah, I had Seattle as at 3-14 and 14 in the preseason predictions with the number one overall pick this year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do think Gino will win. Uh, Saquon, however, I want to say that he has a good shot at fighting off Gino for the award because I'm talking more fantasy wise. When I traded for Saquon Barkley in the offseason in my dynasty league, it was on the just gut faithfulness that Saquon would be healthy this year and would have a monster year, and he did, and led me to a dynasty fantasy football championship in 2022. 
Um, but I did like when we talked about these awards the first time the finalists came out. Uh, I believe that was on the Saturday show with uh, Chris and Colin. And <laughs> they made the point of, what is Gino coming back from? <laughs> yeah. And my answer to that is irrelevancy. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. I, uh, I saw a tweet where, you know, the guy was basically like, you know, it, it should be kind of almost reserved for guys who are coming off pretty major injuries. Cause you, you know, what, what are you coming back from? Like being bad, like being bad at football, but you know, I'm not ready to, to kind of pigeonhole that, um, that award quite yet. Um, and for the reasons that you guys kind of outlined, I mean, still very, you know, impressed and pretty incredible what Geno Smith has been able to do. I can't think of another guy off the top of my head who's just kind of had just a late career, like just total like epiphany, um, just total 180, um, and just has literally in a year become a franchise player for them. So I think he is still deserving of the war of the award, even if it's just the comeback from not being very good. Um, but regardless of the reasons, I think Geno Smith is deserving um, just for proving us all wrong. I, you know, I don't think anybody expected um, except for maybe Seahawks fans. Hey, they wrote him off, and he didn't write back, so. <laughs> uh, we'll see what he's writing on NFL Honors on Thursday night. Uh, but, yeah, the I, I had some thoughts, and I just blanked after I made that comment. Uh, but <laughs> Coach of the Year, uh, it's another award I have a big issue with, but it's Giants head coach Brian Dayball. Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson and 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. There are conflicting things out there because the AP announced just three, but the NFL announced five coaches for this award, uh, adding Bills head coach Sean McDermott and Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, which is what I have the issue with with the AP's three that they announced. Nick Sirianni should be running away with this award as the best team in football this year. Uh, and the fact that he didn't even make the, the top three is just, that's ridiculous. Um, and kind of disrespectful to him. Because while the other three did have good seasons, Brian Dayball definitely, I think, deserves to be on the list. Resurgence of the Giants this year. Kyle Shanahan, I feel like, is start of... S sort of starting to get into that Bill Belichick, Andy Reid category where it's like, well, the Niners are good every year, so why why should Shanahan win it this year, right? Doug Peterson I don't think deserves to be on the list, y'all. The AFC South is the worst division in football, and that's saying something as the NFC South is also very bad, but I think the AFC South is worse than the NFC South. At least the NFC South had you know, all four teams with seven plus wins. Um, 
but besides the fact that the Jags won that division and went to the playoffs at nine and eight, I don't I don't think Doug Peterson deserves to be on the list after just one season. Um, Nick Sirianni should definitely be there. Yeah, I, I agree with all those points. I'm actually surprised that Sirianni didn't make the finalists. I, I was unaware of that. Um, yeah, I, I think Doug Peterson would have a stronger case if they didn't come out so flat. Um, I still think the world of Doug Peterson as a head coach um, definitely should probably be one of the favorites for this award potentially next season um, if they can get out to a better start. Um, my pick, I think, would be Dable just mm-hmm. because – the dude just is like the quarterback whisperer, man. Like, I don't even, I, I don't know what else there is to say. And the fashion and when, in which they did it, just being able to, to cobble together wins and get efficient quarterback play with beyond depleted pass catching options. I mean, just like the. I didn't know any of the guys that Daniel Jones was throwing to this year. Um, and they were still able to beat the Vikings in the wild card round. You mean you so, weren't the biggest Isaiah Hodgins fan in the world? <laughs> I, I was not, unfortunately, familiar with his work. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really impressive with what Brian Dable was able to do as a coordinator in Buffalo and now as a head coach. I think he's deserving uh, of the award. Um, but like you said, Rusty, I'm pretty surprised that Sirianni um, didn't get, um, you know, the, the, the a finalist position for that word, um, for that award. And I think it probably just boils down to that. The Eagles are pretty stacked as a roster. Um, when you look at, you know, each position group, they got dudes pretty much everywhere. Um, but in my opinion, that shouldn't, um, fact, it, it should factor in a little bit, but I don't think it should bar someone from being a finalist, especially when you lead them to one of the best teams in football. Our resident coach. I, uh, I would, you know, stand on a podium and say that four guys should have been on this list. And Nick Sirianni is that fourth one. He wouldn't be my choice because I do believe that the GM of the Eagles should get GM of the year. That team has, mm-hmm. you know, been molded into the best team in the football team in the NFL. Sorry, and he did an exceptional job. I'm not. I'm not going as far as you know what was said at from a, a, a Giants player because you still have to coach. So my award wouldn't go to him. I understand why Peterson is on this. You know, he comes in after um, Chuckle Nuts totally destroys the Jaguars in his <laughs> one season, you know, and he did a whole reboot and he got the most out of Trevor Lawrence, which, um, you know, and, and to piggyback off of what Rusty said, they do play in a bad division, which is why I wouldn't give it to him. And I would say that he is should be – you know, up for preseason finalists for next year. And I see why Shanahan's on the list. He's got a stacked roster too, which is why I wouldn't give it to him. But he did have to go through the quarterback 
carousel mm-hmm. in the 49ers. I mean, that was ridiculous how many quarterbacks they went through this year. However, Brian Dable would run away with it, in my opinion. It was the toughest division in football this year. You know, we didn't know if Daniel Jones was going to even be a starter going forward. And he comes in and he makes them a playoff team. They go and knock off the Vikings. And I just think that he did a total reboot. They look like they were having fun on the sidelines. The Giants were kind of a laughing stock for a while after, you know, Elon left. And, you know, why did you take him so early in this draft? You could have had X and Y. Z in that draft of other quarterbacks and he comes in and he makes them a playoff team. And I, I think he wins it in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Dayball will take it on Thursday. I did remember one thing I was thinking of talking about comeback player of the year. Uh, we don't even have to have to have finalists in 2023. Um, <laughs> Because if if Tamar Hamlin comes back and plays a single down of football next year, I mean, he wins it automatically. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, yeah, we don't even need to have finalists for for Cotton Black Player of the Year next year. Um, lastly, assistant coach of the year. I think this one gets a little murky and and kind of fun as well. Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans and Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. You know where I am going, Mr. Steichen. The best offense. I piggybacked. Uh, but I mean, I piggybacked. Technically, they didn't. They weren't the best offense. The Chiefs were the number one overall total yards offense or whatever. But they led the league in rushing touchdowns, led the league in rushing, I believe. I don't really know if that's true or not, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, they had the best offensive line production, and, I mean, they blew out so many teams on offense. And while he doesn't call plays, that is Nick Sirianni's job, he was the architect of the game plans every week um, and getting Jalen Hurts into those situations to be successful. So while Ben Johnson might win it, uh, Namiko, I think all three have a good shot at it and it's going to be close. One of the closer awards of the night, but I'm, I'm going to go be a Homer and, and pick Shane Steichen. All, all three of them are really interesting stories, right? You, you have Bosa leading the sacks out and with the 49ers, He's getting a head coaching job, very deserving. You know, my feelings around uh, the quarterback in Detroit and was happy to see him leave the Rams. And then, boom, he has this type of year. So there's another reason why someone's deserving. But I just, being the best team in the NFL, the way Jalen Hurts played, I, I would have to roll with you on this one. Yeah, you know, I agree with you guys that this is probably the toughest one to pick because I think all three of these guys you could make a really strong case about. Um, If I had to pick one, I think I would go with D'Amico Ryans. I think I've mentioned on the pod before that while they have some dudes on that defense, both obviously being one, Fred Warner, probably the unanimous best linebacker in football, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's not a completely stacked defense, and a lot of their success <laughs> is very um, scheme dependent, and, and I think a lot of that is attributed to um, what D'Amico Ryan's was able to do. Um, so, I, I I think I'd pick him, but like I said, I think you can make the case uh, for any one of those guys, and, and whoever ends up hoisting the trophy, I think will be deserving of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely not stacked when Tavarius Ward was getting absolutely torched by DK in the wild card round. <laughs> but next week, um, next week we will have XFL Week One. Well, obviously we'll, we'll recap Super Bowl Fifty Seven, um, and we will have a XFL season preview before we preview the Week One uh, games next Friday. Uh, just want to mention this Friday is going to be an absolutely electric show. Um, I didn't write you down, Logan, cause I didn't know if you were going to be on or not. Um, but you can give me that answer now if you want, so I can add you. I think, yeah, I think I should be on. Yeah. Uh, cause other than, other than you, we're going to have a stacked cast. Mark's going to be on here. He told me. Uh, we're going to bring a, a blast from the past back on here. Mark and our boy Alex Wagner will be joining us on Friday uh, when, nice. once he gets back from work, um, probably around 5.30 Eastern there. And then uh, our guy Danny Potter is going to join us again for the Super Bowl preview on Friday. We're going to talk a lot of stuff on Friday. We're going to talk, um, you know, who's better on, on defense, special teams, coaches, quarterback, uh, playmakers, and offensive line. And we're going to give a give our picks for who wins, what scores we think. Because Super Bowl, you got to give a score, right? Um, and then we're going to talk some non-football stuff. We're going to talk about our expectations for the commercials on uh, Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday. And, of course, we have to talk about the Queen, Riri. We have to discuss Rihanna's halftime performance and, and what we think that's going to look like. Who do we speculate is going to join her on stage? I know I was talking to my roommate about that today. There's a lot of thoughts I have about who else is going to join her on the stage at halftime. So Friday will be an absolutely electric show. Uh, no game recaps. So make sure you tune in for that and then the XFL preview next Monday next Tuesday I should say I keep saying that every show uh but thank you all for watching this was one of the more complete shows we've had in a while um appreciate you guys for being on don't forget to follow us on all our social media at FAA podcast on Instagram and Twitter FAA pod FAA underscore bets as well on Twitter and FAAPodcast.com is our website. You can check us out here on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We will see you all on Super Bowl Friday.